in order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood. From my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood. From my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. In order that all sentient beings may attain Buddhahood. From my heart I take refuge in the three jewels. Whatever the virtues of the many fields of knowledge, all are steps on the paths of omniscience. May these arise in the clear mirror of intellect. O Manjushri, please accomplish this. So uh, tonight we continue along with the Vaibhashika school. The, the, uh, what do they call it? The great compilationists. The Mahavaibhasha is the great something. And this one uh, is extensive, and I think we'll see the subsequent chapters are much smaller because they just uh, take the ground or the, all the details that have been laid out by Vaibhashika and they tweak them this way and that way. So they get progressively smaller if you look in the TOC. Vaibhashika is, let's see, 45 pages. Sautrantika is 40 Chittamatra, oh, Chittamatra is long, look at that, 20, 50, 60 pages for Chittamatra, that's a complicated one, huh? And Madhyamaka is, uh, well, they're all substantial, I was wrong. Anyway, after going through all these, we'll know everything. It's basically as easy, simple as that. So... Um, I believe we're on page 249, the five categories of objects of knowledge. Is anyone willing to confirm or revise that? Brent, I see nodding. Thumbs up. And so we're in the Vaibhashika chapter, Cynthia and Morgan, I think it's digital. And Barbara, it's digital. You guys with us? Five categories of objects of knowledge. Cynthia, we got a thumbs up. Almost. And the general, going back, general explanation of um, Vaibhashika assertions started on page 242, the section just before in the digital world. We had the following topics. On 243, it says the objects of knowledge are included in five categories, which we're going to go through tonight for starters. And then the next paragraph, we had the four characteristics of phenomena, production, abiding, aging, and disintegration, important topic. And then um, on 244, we had the causes, effects, and conditions in a summary form. And we're going to go through all these in much more extensive form. So this is the summary, and then on the bottom of that page we have uh, the conventional and ultimate reality of phenomena, and that extends on to the next page, and, oh sorry, I skipped a really important one, the three times, back on 244, that, that wonderful topic of the reality of the three times. <laughs> Then on 246, continuing to go forward from two, the bottom of 245 to 6, we have the uh, specific and general characteristics. 
of phenomena. And then on the bottom of 246, we have karma, different two main categories of karma, and the unique quality of time lapse between the action and the effect. And then the next topic was uh, how do they identify the self? That's the basis of them. And then this weird language over the bottom of that page, that whatever is an established base is necessary a self of phenomena. The assertion of Ibostrikas hold phenomena to be real. So they must have a self of phenomena that is their established base, since phenomena are real. And then on the next page, skipping, uh, well, they continue with these terms of self-sufficient and substantially existent. Self-sufficient meaning they don't need any, they're uh, uncaused, basically. They're not brought, brought about by other causes and conditions. And uh, substantially existent means they have a, a place in the world of the dharmas, of real things. They're on the map. And we'll see that there's 80 different things in tonight's reading. And then the, uh, the next topic is valid means of knowledge, direct perception, and inference. So that's a little summary of the different topics. Now we go in depth into the five categories of knowledge, sorry, or objects. General explanation of Vaibhashika's assertions was summarized above. Some of the most important tenets that are unique to them are explained somewhat more extensively in what follows. What is the basis? Sorry, when the basis in this system is delineated in Abhidharma texts such as the treasury and its auto commentary, all phenomena are included in the aggregates. So these three ways of slicing and dicing aggregates, skandhas, constituents, datu, and sources, ayatanas. So hopefully people are familiar with the terminology that they use to translate these terms because they're different than what we use in Trump and Bashir world. Constituents, datus, we say usually, um, well, we usually say datus and ayatanas. Ayatanas are like the sense fields, datus are like the realms, the 18 aspects that form six triads, right? So there's 18 constituents and 12 sources, and there's how many aggregates? Five, five aggregations. All conditioned phenomena included in the five aggregates form aggregate feeling discrimination, compositional factors, consciousness. At this point, you might be curious to uh, become familiar with the Sanskrit. Form is rupa, feeling is vedana. You see the long mark on the end. Discrimination is samjanya. And the compositional factors are samskara, which literally means uh, completely created or completely creating. Kara is like activity or creation. It's not like completely clear whether it's created or creating. And consciousness, vijnana. <clears throat> when the term sources is used, ayatana, it refers to the division into 12, the six external, from the form, source. 
to the phenomena source. So the form source is the object of the eye sense faculty, and the phenomena source is the object of the mental sense faculty. And, and they're going to use this language throughout, and it's a little bizarre, so it's good to get take a moment here to get familiar with it. So they're going to say the form source and the phenomena source and so on. And by that, they mean all of the different aspects that exist within that category, but they call it as if it's one thing. So be aware of that confusion, potential confusion. So the form source includes all at least 10 of the 11 types of form. <clears throat> the uh, uh, mental form probably is not included in there, but we'll see. You know, that's one of the objects for debate, subjects for debate is the, is the mental form a form or a mental, or is it in the, in the mind aggregate or whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> when the term sources it use, it refers to the 12 and uh, from form to phenomena and the six internal sources from eye to mind, manas. When these are divided extensively, they present the 18 constituents. Manas, by the way, is equivalent to um, uh, uh, shepa in Tibetan. I believe when these are divided extensively, they prevent, present rather the 18 constituents, which are the six elements that are the objects of observation, forms, etc., the six sources that are supporting sense faculties from the eye to the mind, and the six sources that are the supportive consciousnesses from the eye consciousness to the mental. All phenomena are included in the sources and constituents which is a funny way to say things because we would say all phenomena well well they're saying all phenomena are included in both the sources is one way to categorize everything and the constituents is another way to categorize everything as is the skandhas is another way to categorize everything so there's three different ways of categorizing everything all focused on breaking down the sense of uh, there being a self of persons. On the next page, or continuing in that paragraph for digital folks, unconditioned phenomena are included in the phenomena constituent among the 18 constituents in the phenomena source <clears throat> among the 12 sources. What does that mean? That means that the unconditioned phenomena, and there's three of them, space in the Vaibhashika tradition, space, analytical and non-analytical cessations. And remember, they think of these as like entities, <laughs> as opposed to like, I always viewed cessation as being like a state of mind that was produced by either analysis or not by analysis. And I didn't really pay attention to the object of that state of mind in that state. And when they talk about analytical, non-analytical cessation, they're really talking about the, the object of that absorption state as being a phenomena, and it's an unconditioned phenomena, which doesn't make any sense to us. But if you start with like thinking about it categorically of like there's conditioned phenomena, and there's unconditioned phenomena, and they're, they're all phenomena. And so those unconditioned phenomena are included in uh, the phenomena constituent, 
which is one of the 18 constituents in the phenomena constituent. It's the object of the mental sense faculty, or yeah, and uh, is contacted by the mental sense consciousness and the phenomena source um, among the source, the 12 sources, the uh, object of the mind. Also, all phenomena are included in the form aggregate, the mind source and the phenomena constituent. So here they play little uh, categorization games, which is like the Venn diagrams, and it's just sort of an exercise that they do. They do. This is one of many that they do, like of saying, like, um, what is what phenomena exists in both this category and that category, and blah blah blah. So here the game is that. All phenomena are included in the form aggregate, which is one of the five, the mind source, which is one of the uh, 12, and the phenomena constituent, which is one of the 18. In, included in the form aggregate is the form aggregate. <laughs> uh, from, from among the five aggregates, the 10 physical constituents, the 10 aspects of matter, and uh, such as the I constituent from among the 18 constituents. So um, the 10 physical constituents are uh, a subtle form that makes up the five sense faculties and the objects of the sense faculties making 10 is form. And uh, such as the form among the 12 sources and non-revelatory form, which I mentioned a minute ago, calling it non-form, uh, non mental form, which is one part of the phenomena source and the phenomena constituent. Included in the mind source is the consciousness aggregate from among the five aggregates. So, so far we have two of the five aggregates included. The mind source from the 12 sources and the seven element mental elements from among the 18 included in the third item, which they say everything in the first sentence, they said everything's in the form aggregate, the mind source and the phenomena constituent, including the phenomena constituent is non-revelatory form, which is one part of the form aggregate. Then the other aggregates of feeling, discrimination, and compositional factors from among the five, and the phenomena source from among the 12 sources and the phenomena constituent. <laughs> sort of just like a total nerdy thing, game to do, to play, right? The Abhidharma treatise something says, if someone asks, are all phenomena included in one constituent, one source, and one aggregate? The answer is yes. <laughs> That one constituent is the phenomenal constituent, the source is the mind, and the aggregate is the form. So the treasury says everything is included in one aggregate, one source, and one constituent. As was already discussed above, Vibhashika's own system seems to delineate the nature of reality from the perspective of these five categories of objects of knowledge. And this can be known from Vasubandhu's commentary to his treasury. All phenomena including the five form then the five forms, minds, mental factors, what is not associated with mind, the unassociated factors, and the condition unconditioned. Yeah, so Mitra says the same thing, skipping that. All internal external physical phenomena, such as the five objects, such as form and the five sentences, such as they are included in the foundation of appearing forms. 
That's the first of the five. The phenomena that are internal consciousnesses are included in the categories of main minds and mental factors. Main minds in this system are six. There's one for each of the senses. And mental factors in this system will be 46, as we'll see shortly. Such things as production of body and disintegration, which are features of conditioned phenomena and conditioned phenomena such as the three times that are not classified as either form or consciousness are included in the foundation of non-associated compositional factors, meaning things that are not mind or mental fact uh, or form. Those phenomena that are not produced by causing conditions are included in the foundation of the unconditioned, thus they're introduced by way of, uh, sorry, thus they introduce the way of delineating all objects of knowledge by dividing them into these five categories. <clears throat> it's supposed to be like a round of applause, I think, at that point that they accomplished this. <laughs> uh, I see a lot of excitement building out there. Okay, uh, appearing forms assert that there are 11, the five external from the form to the object of touch source, the five internal from the eye source to the body source and non-revelatory form. Regarding what is called non-revelatory form, the treasury says it is, it is also in the distracted and those without mind. As this indicates, it's a special type of form that does not reveal itself and that is unobstructed and has five qualities. It occurs even in the state of distraction and, and mindless states. Non-revelatory form, I think, is the form of such things as taking a vow or making a promise. And the image uh, used is that of a promissory note. If you have a loan outstanding to a bank or an, in, or an individual, that loan has an entityness to it. That debt <laughs> has an entityness to it. And uh, it exists even in the mind of somebody who's completely oblivious to it. Um, it is either virtuous or non-virtuous, continuous in both the past and the future, and it's caused by the four great internal elements, and it is not revelatory. <laughs> um, meaning it does not reveal itself. You can't contact it by any of the six, sorry, five senses, the first five of the six senses. So this odd idea that there's like a form made by such things as vows and promises, weird. Regarding the five external objects form and the five internal sense faculties, this asserts, this system asserts the four great elements serve as their cause and that they are, they are external objects that are established through the accumulation of subtle particles. Because the way in which external objects are established from the accumulation of particles is fundamental tenet of Vibhashikos. It will be discussed briefly in general. Uh, things begin to form particles that are the smallest forms, syllables that are the shortest words, and moments that are the shortest time. Times. I love the way they put words and syllables in there also. Oh, that's it, the great exegesis. Conditioned phenomena have three measures or come in three uh, minutest particles, parts, time, form, and word. The shortest time is the single moment, the smallest form is the single particle, and the shortest word 
is based on a single syllable. They assert a subtle particle is not only the smallest of particles and that it is the original basic component of anything that is formed. A subtle particle is also partless, um, is one surrounded by many and abides without touching each another subtle particle. They also assert that they have the quality of uh, remaining, retaining their nature. They can't be divided into parts and that when a single subtle particle at the center is surrounded by other subtle particles, if they were to touch on all sides, they would become mixed and if they were to touch on one side, they would have parts. So they basically conceive of the uh, nucleus of an atom and the uh, electron, the proton, never actually touch the nucleus, right? They circle around it at a huge, relatively huge distance compared to the size of the actual particles. Um, so they knew about atoms somehow. Somebody told them. I'm going to skip the quote. Uh, the next text states, do subtle particles touch each other? They do not. Uh, another quote, skip that. Between the two, subtle, substantial, subtle particles and composite subtle particles. Substantial, so substantial here implying that they are single and unitary and cannot be further divided. They're not compounded. Partless particles are, for example, each of the eight substantial partless particles, which is sort of a Contra, uh, like a contradictory statement. You can't say A is equal to the sum of eight different types of A. But that's what they claim. Subtle, that's their terminology. Subtle, subtle sorry, substantial partless particles are, for example, each of the eight substantial partless particles. The four partless particles are the four elements, and the four partless particles are the four. Um, elemental evolutes, evolutes. <clears throat> Composite subtle particles are, for example, the smallest particles that are accumulations of those eight. Oh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. So subtle particles are just uh, the eight that make up composite particles. And uh, they assert that substantial subtle particles are partless and composite have parts. And they assert that an accumulation of subtle, seven subtle particles is the size of one particle. So from the, among the eight options, all composites have at least seven of those eight. And I think the one that is sometimes missing is, um, I don't know, maybe, I can't remember. They don't have sound which is weird. Form, smell, taste, and object of touch. Oh, let's see. The initial basic component of, mat of a material external object is a single, partless, subtle particle that cannot be broken down. Because various coarse phenomena are established through the accumulation of those, they assert that external particles are truly established to illustrate this with something that is blue. <clears throat> they assert that it is not just an appearance to the mind is blue. Instead, it is an external object that arises from an object made up of basic components that are partless, subtle particles. 
In general, the existence of external objects is established by valid sense experience. They assert that if one were to analyze how they exist using reasoning, course phenomena must be established through the accumulation of subtle parts that compose them, removing the parts of course forms. They become gradually smaller until finally one must posit a final substance that cannot be divided into parts at all. And what they did is they just conceptually uh, took apart a phenomena which we saw uh, just used as the description of um, a relative truth that can be broken down conceptually, that which can be broken down conceptually. In last week's presentation where there was a, a description of relative and ultimate uh, phenomena. If such a final phenomena did not exist, one could not explain how the course is established through the accumulation of the subtle breaking of course form like a rock into chunks that is divided into individual parts. One must come to a final particle in which there is nothing small of such a particle in parts. They would still have to be something that could be divided into parts. Thus, there would be the fault of there not being that which is the smallest. Therefore, it must be the case that one either accepts that it is partless or one accepts that parts are endless. If they're accepted that parts are endless, then if one continues to divide a single drop of water, it would never come to an end. Thinking in this way, they opted for the partless. Because they didn't want to spend forever breaking things down. They had other things to classify, other lists to make. So they, they wanted to move on. Just as they assert that the uh, subtle particles that serve as the foundational basic components of physical phenomena are partless, so they say the consciousnesses, consciousnesses which are conditioned phenomena that are not physical are divided into final units of the earlier and later moments of time, which themselves cannot be broken down into smaller, earlier, and later parts. Therefore, they say that moments of time are partless. Vibhashaka and Sautrantika are similar in asserting that subtle particles are partless and that they do not touch each other. However, they differ in how they assert this, with Vibhashaka saying that there is space in between the particles, and Sautrantika saying there is no space in between them. Which is sort of funny because none of them has ever seen any of them because by definition they can't be seen. Also, Vibhashaka asserts that there is no difference between the four elements and the constituents that are the four elements which makes no sense at all, right? And uh, there's there's the idea that the constituents, the constituents are, if you remember, how many constituents are there? 18. So in the 18, there are the form, constituent, and so forth. And so they say, um, there's no difference between the form elements and the constituents. So it's the same things. We're just talking about the same thing. And uh, that because of, because the functions of the four elements are fully present in all composite forms, they have the four elements, actual elements. Satrantikas and above make a distinction between the four elements and the constituents that are the four elements. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this somewhat. I mean, it's sort of humorous. No? and assert that the constituents that are the four elements are fully present in all composite forms, but the actual four elements do not need to be present. Something like the water substance in a collection of subtle particles, the element or capacity of water it doesn't have to be actual water. 
So I think what they're trying to say is that the four elements as principles, cohesion, solidity, um, heat, and motility, you know, when you see the four, the sort of functions of the four elements, those, pers those pervade all phenomena. But the actual four elements that are uh, substantial substances only occur in those substances, in phenomena that are made out of those substances and not in the mind and so forth. Whereas the Vaibhashikas say that the, the mo uh, I don't know if they would say it about the mind, but they would say it about other things. Such modes of assertion together with their textual sources have already been explained in detail in the first volume, the first course. Categories of main minds and accompanying mental factors regarding the formation of main foundation of main minds. There are six collection of consciousness, item mental, and the accompanying mental factors, according to Vasubandhu's treasure, there are five categories of the definite. So they're going to use this weird terminology. So the definite means they're definitely either good or bad. Okay. Five categories are definite. The extensive foundation of mind, the extensive foundation of the virtues. And this term, extensive foundation, is, a, is like their term for the category of. So there's a category of mind, there's a category of virtues, there's a category of the great afflictions, and there's a category of the non-virtues. And there's the category of the small afflictions. <clears throat> Usually they're said to be uh, virtues, uh, root clashes, major negative and minor negative mental factors. Heading the cat category of the indefinite. So then there's a group of mental factors that go either way, good or bad. They can be both. Not at the same time, but they can go either way. They divide them into six and explain that there are therefore 46 mental factors. Uh, according to Asanga and his auto commentary and Vasubandhu's other texts, Investigation of the Five Aggregates, Pachasakanda, uh, something or other, which we went through once in a course, these ones, aspiration, wisdom, memory, interest, and samadhi, are explained to be determining factors. Um, meaning that they're either good or bad. In this case, they're good, and they are not asserted to be an extensive foundation. They're not asserted, they don't have their own category, sorry. In this system, it is asserted that those accompany all minds. Those are part of the, uh, what are now called the, um, the, oh my God, omnipresent mental factors, right? So in the system we use, we have the omnipresent mental factors and the object determining mental factors and so on. If you remember your mental factors, the so on included virtues, clashes, major and minor afflictions. Okay. Um, even a mind associated with doubt has some wisdom and may be small. Uh, compared to the amount of doubt, like steam, which mixes with the salty sea. And same way, there are ways in which there is aspiration and a mind of anger, samadhi, and a mind of distraction. This is very important. You could say, I'm distracted, but there's still samadhi. There's still a little bit samadhi in my mind. Very important. Samadhi in a mind of distraction, memory in a forgetful mind. <laughs> and belief in a mind without faith. 
They explain that they must be posited based on the amount <laughs> of such things. The root virtue of non-obscuration, which is non-ignorance or correct view or understanding. And there, he's mentioning, uh, they are mentioning specific mental factors here. The root affliction of wrong view. And so they're giving the category that they're in, root virtue, root affliction of wrong view, non-introspection, forgetfulness, and distraction, which are uh, major um, negative mental factors, but not root afflictions. Um, explained in a Sangha's compendium are not in the treasury of knowledge. So in the treasury, the description of the 46 is primarily in terms of the different natures of the individual factors and the root virtue of uh, non-obscuration, etc., as mentioned above, have a nature of wisdom, forgetfulness, and so forth, have a nature of memory and samadhi. Therefore, it appears that the intention is they do not have a nature different from that of the 46. The authors are going to great lengths here to uh, correlate the two systems of, Vasu, of the two brothers, Vasubandhu and Asanga, and say that they are basically equivalent. Asanga has 51 and Vasubandhu has 46. And the way that in which they divide mental factors into substantial and imputed has already been set forth. Basically, the non-associated mental factors are imputed, right? which is the next category regarding the foundation non-associated compositional factors. There are 14, acquisition, non-acquisition, similarity, discrimination, absorption of non-discrimination, absorption of cessation, life force, the uh, four qualities of conditioned phenomena, production, abiding, aging, and disintegration, groups of words, groups of sentences, groups of letters, groups, not individual, but groups, interestingly. Uh, skipping the quote, those 14 are conditioned phenomena that are not form, nor their minds and mental factors. Therefore, they're called this catchy term unassociated. Vaibhashika asserts that they are things that are different substantial entities from forms, minds, and mental factors. Sautrantic and above assert that they are simply imputations to instances of those three. So you can't even say the Vaibhashikas assert, assert that uh, they are things that are different substantial entities, though so they're actual phenomena. They have independent existential status, whereas so Trantika and above do not give them that. They just say they're imputations. Therefore, they assert that they're not separate substantial entities from them, them being forms, minds, and mental factors. Among these, and they're going to go through all, uh, go through all 14 of these, so I'm not going to do that, um, but uh, do uh, some selected ones of them that are important. Acquisition explained to be a substance. So this is like the acquisition of negative or positive karma through certain activities <clears throat> or mental states. Is explained to be a substance that causes an acquired phenomenon to be possessed in the continuum of a person. Just the rope that binds the load is separate from the load. It is an existence that is held to be a separate entity from the acquired phenomena. So if we acquire a habit for doing X, Y, or Z, there's the, the factor of acquisition 
which is different than X, Y, or Z. It's their attempt to explain how persons accumulate propensities. Non-acquisition is the opposite, skipping similarity, non-discrimination. How about the absorption of non-discrimination is a substance that serves as the cause of its effect. Non-discrimination, the effect is the absorption of non-discrimination. So there's a substance that one meditates upon as the object and experiences that state. When one has entered into that absorption, it causes minds and mental factors to cease until one disengages from it. The absorption of cessation is posited as a substance in the continuum of noble peoples that temporarily cause the cessations of mind and mental factors and the dependence on a mind of the peak of existence, the most subtle mind in the three realms. The three realms are the form, formless, and desire realms. I should have said them in different order. Desire, form, and formless realms. And the peak of ex and that makes up what's called samsara. And the peak of samsara, the very highest realm in samsara, is said to be, uh, is called the peak of existence. <laughs> and this is a stage achieved on one of the paths. Any guess? guesses path number one path number two path number three any guesses peak of existence <laughs> you got it that's right path number two it's the last stage of the path of the second path of joining where one goes through <coughs> heat um Peak, uh, what is it, patience and highest worldly dharmas or something like that. So I thought it was the fourth part of that of that stage. But so I is this the kind the of cessation that the um, that that yogi who uh, woke up after ten years and asked for his radish uh, yogurt? Soup? Yeah, that was Sarah. He said, "Where my where's my radish yogurt?" That's right. He was in the peak of peak of radish heaven. <laughs> That's a good example. Life force. Oh, what is life force? It's an oddity. Hey, Kevin. Trung Rinpoche actually gave a talk called Life Force. He called the second foundation of mindfulness life force in that talk. He changed it from first it was mindfulness of livelihood. <laughs> what what's your occupation? What do you do for a living? To uh, liveliness or life, and then finally life force, interestingly. And life force, Jivitas, asserted to be substantially established, non associated compositional factor that serves as the base for the body and consciousness. Skipping the quote. This is what the Vaibhashika is saying in response. Okay, the quote is important, sorry. When the life force, heat, and consciousness have abandoned the body, it is left behind, mindless, like a log. So Trantika say, if you assert that the body and consciousness depend on the life force, then what does the life force depend? 
it also can't remain without depending on something. You might say that the life force depends on the body and consciousness. In that case, because they would be mutually dependent, neither would be established. Or even if they were established, the life force would never cease because it would not be possible for its cause, consciousness, to be incomplete. <laughs> because consciousness is unceasing. Therefore, you are designating the mental consciousness together with its seeds of a similar type to be the life force. In other words, that's a mistaken view. The Yogacara find fault with both of these and assert that through the power of karma, the foundation consciousness, Ali Vijnana, endures by retaining its same status and that this is designated as the life faculty. In other words, how do you explain what happens at birth and death, in particular death? Like, what is the change that occurs? Something goes out of the body something ceases and they call that the life force they, they figured it was like some thing that ended and as we know in the west people have like tried to measure <laughs> find like some some phenomena that they could measure that, ha that disappears let's see regarding the four qualities condition phenomena production so forth because they are phenomena that qualify conditioned phenomena everything else they're called the qualities of conditioned phenomena production is the agent of production abiding and so forth so take their names uh, but importantly the last one impermanence is the agent of disintegration it's a secret agent the vibhashika assert that they're produced simultaneously with the conditioned phenomena that they qualify and that their own nature is held to be a different substance from that of the conditioned phenomena we went through this a little bit last week this fascinating idea that uh, uh, disintegration is not uh, inherent to phenomena but it's a different phenomena that enters into the into their orbit Vaibhashika assert that they are produced simultaneously with the conditioned phenomena that they qualify, and their own nature is held to be a different substance from that of the conditioned phenomena. So does disintegration have production arising, abiding, and disintegration? That's a good question. The Happy Dharma says, someone at my ask should the production abiding and permanence conditioned phenomena be called conditioned or unconditioned? This is to be said there to be called conditioned. So are these four phenomena of conditioned phenomena, aspects of conditioned phenomena, conditioned phenomena? And the answer is yes. <laughs> According to the system, you had to pick one or make up a new category. And they just picked one. The Mahavibhasha, great exegesis, says a phenomena that comes forth due to production, weakens due to aging and so forth. These are all conditioned. Some skipping, someone might ask, why is it that in the sutras, the qualities of conditioned phenomena are said to be production, abiding, and disintegration, and then missing aging, right? It's explained that aging is included and abiding, they're said to be the same. <laughs> Everything's aging as it abides. Purpose for this is said to be that abiding is the source of attachment. Therefore, in order to stop attachment to it, <laughs> Biden and the agent are combined in one characteristic. I don't know if I buy that personally, but skipping the quote, um, someone might say, if it must be the case that there are four qualities that qualify even these four qualities, <laughs> it's conditional phenomena, it would be an infinite regress. If this does not need to be the case, then the four qualities would become unconditioned because they're not conditioned by the four qualities. 
this is a serious trap. This is a dangerous trap, this question. <clears throat> to respond, one may one may say if it takes if one takes a single thing such as a pot as an instance of something qualified as conditioned, then when it is produced, there's the pot itself. And the four primary qualities then uh, i.e. that which causes it to be produced, abide, age, and disintegrate are there with it. The four secondary qualities are the production of the production that causes the primary production to be produced. <laughs> the sense of humor of these guys is, is unparalleled. God. So I'm going to skip the repetition of that silly phrase and skip to those nine the instance, which is the conditioned phenomena itself, the four primary qualities and the four secondary ones are produced simultaneously, of course. Primary production causes eight things. The instance, which is the conditioned phenomena itself, the other three primary qualities, abiding and so forth, and the four secondary qualities, which were the production of production and so forth. Uh, because it is not suitable for production itself to be produced by itself, it is produced by the production of production, which is now taking the place as my favorite sentence in the whole book. What do you guys think? Because it is not suitable for production itself but to be produced by itself, it is produced by the production of production. Did I read that right? <laughs> okay. Thus, the production of production produces only the primary production. <laughs> this applies in the same way to the other three qualities, which would be, let's see, the aging of aging, age is only the primary aging. Okay. Therefore, all four of the qualities of conditioned phenomena are instances of conditioned phenomena with each having the other three qualities, excluding itself and having all four qualities by adding each of the secondary, such as the production of production. In summary, Vaibhashik asserts that because those are mutually dependent, there's no fault of infinite regress. Ooh, that was a fast one. As their way of getting rid of the infinite regress. What was the reason? Because those are mutually dependent. If they're mutually dependent, then they're not separate entities. We learned that in the last section, right? Something about life force. If it's mutually dependent, then they're not substantially established. Uh, that's a slippery slope, these guys. Okay, anyway, skipping the quote. This system asserts that when a conditioned phenomena such as form is qualified by these qualities, it is not qualified by its being produced and so forth. It is qualified as conditioned by a different existing object such as its producer. It's uh, direct cause. Therefore, Vabashika does not assert that the qualities are the action of production and so on. It asserts that these qualities are the agent of production. That's a subtle point. There's something like uh, we say that there's production as a, a fact, as like a a factor or an energy or or power in the world. But if you say that like fire is caused by um, heat, the heat is the cause of production, not production. But they're trying to somehow correlate those two together, right? and bring those two together so that they work in consort. So, uh, 
by Bhaskar does not assert that the qualities of the action of production and so on, that the qualities are the action. So the, the cause is the action of production, but these qualities are the agent of production, the agent. Again, a pretty slippery slope there. All of which is meant to show us like when you go down, it's like a quantum mechanics, I guess, when you go down to the molecular level and try to figure out how things happen, it gets a little bit absurd. Right. Uh, let's see. Treasury says production produces phenomena, abiding, makes it abide, etc. Clarifying, clarifying the meaning clarifies the meaning by saying here, because they assert that the qualities of conditional phenomena are entities that are different substances, it is not suitable to complain. Just shut up and do, do your job. Okay. I think we should skip the rest of this fascinating topic of the four. Uh, May I ask a question? Yeah, for sure. This idea of agent, is it sort of like speaking to some idea about how, I guess like in a gross level, I might color a situation because of how I see things like i don't know i see water as something to drink not something to live in like a fish would is that because i'm the agent so i'm going to see it a certain way and so that i think i think it's sort of like you're in different realms in this example oh. you're like a you're a, uh uh collection of uh, aggregates and this is talking uh, your collection of aggregates and you have predispositions based on prior experiences stored in your samskaras that affect how your your other skandhas experience uh, their objects but this is like how did the phenomena how do these phenomena interact with each other and uh, on a very but couldn't they also have like some tendencies that are sort of collective to them or well i think they have the tendency you know on this molecular level it's like what the example i used of heat and fire they have the tendency heat has the tendency to be hot and fire has the tendency to burn and okay there's nothing more than that you know it's very uh, sort of basic level okay I, I believe. Uh, so let's skip the rest of this section about these four qualities, uh, which brings us to 261. Let's talk about disintegration a little bit, which is the most important one. Um, oh, and disintegration starts. Where does disintegration start? Actually starts bummer on the bottom of two fifty nine. Mahashishikas. Yeah, the 
and so forth, assert that conditional phenomena are necessarily momentary. They accept a period of abiding between production and disintegration that's different from the two. This way of positing momentariness is different from that of Sautrantika. Sautrantika find fault with Vaibhashika, saying that in such a case, conditioned phenomena would not be momentary. I think they're talking about the way that Vaibhashika assert that they're simultaneous. The Vaibhashika reply that momentariness refers to how long, however long it takes for the four activities as a whole to be completed. Whereas most of most people would think about there being the moment of production, the moment of abiding, the moment of aging, the moment of disintegration, or maybe the three of them combining abiding and aging. And uh, <clears throat> let's see, skipping the next few sentences and going on to the next page. <clears throat> yeah, let's start at the next paragraph. Fatsi Putri has asserted among conditioned phenomena, there's a momentary and non-momentary, momentary are minds and mental factors and such things as sounds and so forth. The four elements and so forth are not momentary. <clears throat> they assert that disintegration depends on other causes that arise later and that once they encounter the cause of disintegration, they become impermanent. The use of uh, the word they in this sentence is not that that clear. Um, that once they encounter, they would have to be other phenomena such as sounds and tongues of fire. Uh, let's see. In the example given, things such as wood are seen to be destroyed by encountering fire because there's no reliable valid means of knowledge apart from seeing. It is not the case that the disintegration of everything arises without a cause. There is so there's a very uh, blatant example of the disintegration of wood by fire as the cause, as opposed to there being this momentary le level of like wood is disintegrating every moment and fire is disintegrating every moment. You know, so these are like different cosmic scales, right? <clears throat> um, skipping the rest of that paragraph. Other Vaibhashikas find fault with the assertion of the Vatsis saying, if disintegration depends on other causes that arise later, then in some case, cases disintegration would not occur for things that do not have other causes of disintegration. Things such as minds, sounds, tongues of fire, and lightning, <laughs> because they have no causes for their disintegration that arise later. Interesting that those are examples of phenomena that they couldn't figure out uh, what other phenomena could be their, their uh, disintegrating causes, their causes, their sort of interruption, intervening phenomena. If you assert that they disintegrate naturally, you associate that in general disintegration depends on other causes that arise later is undermined. It's like everything has to have the same functionality. Either they disintegrate on their own or they disintegrate from other causes. And if you find an example of something that has no other cause for its disintegration, then it's got to be a natural aspect of all phenomena. 
In reply, the Vatsi Patriyas, skipping the quote on 461, say, We accept that conditioned phenomena definitely disintegrate, but we do not accept that they disintegrate as soon as they're produced from a cause. That's untenable. If you accept that conditioned phenomena disintegrate because the disintegration of conditioned phenomena does not depend on causes that arise later, then you must accept that disintegration is established at the time that those phenomena are produced. If the disintegration of conditioned phenomena depends on causes that arise later, you don't have to accept that disintegration is established as soon as the conditioned phenomena are produced. So to them, it makes no sense for uh, disintegration to be in existence at the time of production, because then production wouldn't happen if, it, if there was disintegration right there. Um, okay, so that's there. Uh, skim into the next page. I guess that's the end of disintegration. Okay, but it, it enters into the are into the consideration field of consideration like what is disintegration is it a separate entity or is it programmed obsolescence um starting on uh, 262 on the top the paragraph that begins in general the meaning of momentary does not need to be explained only as disintegration saying that a vessel is momentary refers to its being empty Saying that someone named David Dutta is momentary refers to David Dutta being inactive. This is weird. Let's skip this. Skip the quote. Among groups of words, groups of sentences, and letters, words indicates that which sets forth just the entity of the object. For example, the term or word form. A sentence is that which attaches a quality to the nature of the object. For example, form is impermanent. Letter serves as the basis for words and sentences, like ka, which is the first letter of the Tibetan alphabet. A group of words refers to a gathering of them. The Vaibhashikas assert that those three are non associated compositional factors. They say that when the word pot is spoken aloud, the meaning of pot that appears to the mind is posited as something having that name that makes one understand the meaning. The meaning cannot be understood through speech alone. There's something else that speech conveys a meaning. It's, it's interesting. Uh, for example, it is like not being able to understand the meaning of the speech of an ox. We understand the sounds, but we don't understand the meaning of those words. Those are words. Right? <laughs> this is like, you know, ling ling linguistic sort of uh, heaven here of like, you know, w words are different than meanings. And meanings are substantially established phenomena. Okay. I'll skip the rest of this. Let's talk about the unconditioned. Regarding it, the unconditioned, there are three space analytical, non analytical cessation. Uh, certain people assert there's four, adding reality. Whoa! What is that reality? I thought there were conventional realities were composites and ultimate reality was subtle partless particles. So do subtle partless particles have the non the non-compounded phenomena reality? 
this is cool. Okay, anyway, space is asserted to be a permanent substance that provides place and serves as the basis of wind. Not only does it not obstruct other forms, it is not obstructed for them. I love that part about the basis of wind. The element of space is different. It is one of the six elements and is asserted to be a form source that becomes the nature of either light or darkness. That's wild. It's asserted to be a form source, meaning that it's the object of the sense faculty that perceives form, which is the visual. And it's either there's light or dark space that we see. That's wild. Analytical cessations stop their object of negation. Wow. Analytical cessations stop their object of negation. So if you're trying to eliminate the idea of there being a pink elephant in the room, you analyze, that's the object of negation, the pink elephant, right? So you're going to analyze the pink elephant and through analyzing it, you reach a state of certainty where the, the analysis ceases and you experience the elimination of the object of negation, which is the idea of there being a pink elephant in the room. Uh, therefore, the Vaibhashik assert that all three of the unconditioned have the quality of being substantially established unconditioned phenomena. Amazing. They're pure Sarvastavadans. Everything exists. And uh, the ones that assert reality as the foundation of the unconditioned assert that it also is substantially established. They do not understand how to posit reality as the unconditioned. That is a non-implicative negation, <clears throat> which is the beauty, is the special forte of the Madhyamakas and the uh, mirror Vaibhashikas don't understand what a non-implicative negation is. So uh, what the sentence is saying is that when they understand the absence of something or uh, the absence of false reality, they think that by negating false reality, it, it uh, implies that there's an actual reality as opposed to negating false reality without it implying something else, which would be a non-implicative negation, right? When you negate the self, you're left with, are you left with non-self or are you left with there is no self? And so for this school, they're left with no self as a thing, as a phenomena. <clears throat> Skipping the quote, uh, this in the Abhidharma text, there's 11 forms, six minds, 46 mental factors, 14 non-associated compositional factors, and three unconditioned phenomena. And that's, that's all there is. And uh, let's see, let's go on to cause and effect, the six causes. Among the five categories of objects of knowledge explained above, the first four condition, the last is unconditioned for something to be conditioned and must arise independence on its causes and conditions. Therefore, one, one might ask how cause and effect are posited in this system, since uh, you say that everything is conditioned, therefore, 
How are they conditioned? A presentation of six causes appears in the treasury and so forth because of Sautrantika. And others do not assert that cause and effect are simultaneous. What a, what a silly thing. They assert that a phenomenon is simultaneously arising cause and a phenomenon's concomitant cause are merely imputed to be causes of that phenomena. Sort of skipping to the conclusion. They didn't quite go through the fact that Vaibhashikas hold that there's the simultaneously arising cause and the concomitant cause. Sautrantikas do not assert that they are actual causes of the phenomena. The Vaibhashikas assert that those two are actual causes of the phenomena. Therefore, they assert that there are cases when the causes and effects of things are simultaneous. When causes there are six, the activity cause, the simultaneously arising cause, the cause of similar type, the concomitant cause, the omnipresent cause, and the fruitional cause. And all of these are summed up in the term cause, I think, or, or direct cause. Uh, skipping the quote, when those six are explained, according to the system set forth in the treasury, the first is uh, the, act, the definition of activity causes a phenomena that does not impede the production of a phenomena that is other than itself does not impede. For example, because a pot does not impede the production of a pillar, that pot is posited as, as an activity cause of a pillar. How many activity causes of pillars are there? There's a whole lot. <laughs> There's a whole lot of them. What a weird category. For the first type of cause, it's like, let's let's create a category for everything that's not a cause <laughs> and we'll call it a cause is that what they just did or am i dreaming seems to be what they did for example because okay uh thus all phenomena except for itself are causes that are activity causes of a conditioned phenomena because they remain in the state of not impeding its production i love that when somebody says uh you know, why aren't you doing anything? You can say, I'm doing a lot. I'm not impeding many, many things, infinite numbers of phenomena. I'm actively not impeding them. Furthermore, there are two ways in which an effect is not produced. It is not produced because the collection of causes is not complete, or it's not produced because although the substantial and cooperative conditions, sorry, substantial cause and its cooperative conditions are complete, there's some impediment. An example of the latter would be the plant would be planting a seed in a field where water, manure, heat, moisture, and so on are present, yet although these other causes are complete, the seed is eaten by a bird. Boom. <laughs> it's like a Monty Python movie, right? Studying this seed. Uh, in this case, the effect is not produced due to an impediment. For an effect to be produced, two causes are necessary. The complete causes and conditions in the absence of an impediment. It's like the, the, the way they use the term cause is just like endless, infinitely regressing. Two causes that include the complete cause. <laughs> Anyway, for those reasons, other phenomena that do not impede the production of that effect are positive as its cause. That is such a revolutionary idea that phenomena that 
don't have really anything to do with other phenomena are actually related to that phenomena as non-impeding causes. Okay, I'll stop. Uh, skipping the quote, the second simultaneous so, arising cause. Yes. You, so if you don't stop it, you cause it. I guess so. Simultaneously arising cause defined as the common locus of that which is simultaneous and a different substance. So something that exists at the same time but is not you and that which is beneficial to mutual production. Examples of the four great elements such as earth and a single composite and a mind and its accompanying mental factors such as feeling, presumably giving rise to the feeling of earth. Uh, Treasury's commentary says the four great elements are simultaneously arising causes of each other. Mind is the simultaneously arising cause for the factors that accompany mind and they are for mind. There's, there's a reason why they do the impeding, the, the uh, non-impeding activity cause and uh, I'm convinced there's a, there's a logical reason for it but we just haven't found it yet. The third cause of similar type is defined as that which produces a subsequent type that is similar to itself. For example, the first moment of a pot is the cause of similar type of the second moment of the pot. I'll skip in the quote. The majority of conditioned phenomena are asserted to have a cause of similar type. The fourth concomitant cause is defined as the common locus of that which is concomitant in the sense of having the five types of mutual concomitants and that which does not impede each other's production. For example, because an eye consciousness and the feeling that accompanies it are concomitant from the perspective of the five types of concomitants, they are posited as concomitant causes of each other. Skipping the quote, we've learned what concomitants means. Mind and mental factors are concomitant. We saw this in uh, the second course are concomitant in five ways in terms of their basis and the basis means the mental uh, sorry the sense faculty a concomitance of object a concomitance of aspect and that refers to like uh, which types of mental factors are present like you can't have anger and love in the very same moment present concomitance of time meaning like they're either in the past, the present, or the future. They're both in that same time period. And a concomitance of substance. Regarding concomitance of basis, both a main mind and its company mental factors depend on the same sense faculty. And uh, mental company mental factors depend on the sense faculty. That's the dominant condition upon which the main mind depends. So we'll see that when we get to the conditions. Concomitance of object is observation of a single object. The object that is observed by the mind is also observed by the mental factors that accompany a concomitance of, oh, I skipped concomitance of object, but there you go. Concomitance of aspect is the same aspect of apprehension. The mind is produced having the aspect of the object and the accompanying mental factors produced having the aspect of the same object. I have a concomitant aspect or mode of apprehension. 
another f uh, very informative sentence that doesn't say much. Concomitants of time is simultaneously skipping the remainder of that. Concomitants of substance are uh, not produced from separate substance. Concomitants, uh, this is called concomitants of substance, and that accompanying each main mind is one factor of feeling of discrimination and so forth, such that both the main mind and the accompanying mental factors are uniform in each having a single substance. Omnipresent cause is defined as the afflicted state that produces a subsequent afflictive state at the same level, which becomes its effect. It is called omnipresent cause because this cause is necessary for all afflicted states of the same level as itself. The view of the perishable collection, which is the five skandhas, and the extreme views, <coughs> which is, uh, are the two extremes or the four extremes, are examples of omnipresent causes. Afflicted states. Interesting to have the have a type of cause that is that which produces afflictions, keeps you in the state of afflictions. The sixth fruitional cause defined as that which is included in either non-virtue or contaminated virtue. It's called fruitional cause because it brings about fruition. Examples are non-virtuous actions and contaminated virtuous ones. And because uh, neutral actions do not have the power to produce fruitional effects like a rotten seed, they are not fruitional causes. That's an odd category. Four conditions turns out to be much more important. And the Vaibhashika's way of positing them is unique. Uh, one might ask, what's the difference between cause and conditions? There's none, <laughs> which is so weird because there's six causes and four conditions. So they're different in number, they're different in name and so forth. But they say in general, because cause and condition are synonymous, there's no difference. However, there are cases in which the phrase, the cause of that phenomena should be understood to mean the main thing that produces the phenomena, that is its substantial cause, and uh, substantial cause is the term that was not included in the six causes, just saying. And um, and these are, there are cases in which condition should be understood to mean the cooperative condition that assists the cause in producing its effects. Dignaga's text says, what are the four? They are are said to be four. Why? The sutra says so. The four are causal condition, immediately preceding condition, the object of observation condition, and the dominant condition. Regarding the definition of causal condition includes any of the five causes outlined above. Now, outlined above were six causes. So why is, why is he saying only five? Did I miss something? Causes outlined above with the exception of the activity. Thank you. And the activity was <laughs> that which doesn't impede. So we're getting a little bit real here. Causal condition and aids in the production of its own effect. That's the more useful definition is that which aids in the production of its own effect is a uh, 
condition or causal condition. All five causes with the exception of the activity of causal conditions. The definition of immediately preceding condition of the similar is that which is similar and produce subsequent consciousness, which is its effect. Similar minds and mental factors with the exception of the minds and mental factors are a person who's continuing is about to cease. Which is a special case. Someone who's about to enter into cessation trance or nirvana is an exception to this whole causation thing, interestingly. Are asserted to be immediately preceding conditions of the similar. The definition of object of observation condition is that which is suitable to be the object of the consciousness that observes it in this system all phenomena are posited as object of observation conditions anything can be an object of observation because that's one of the definition of things is that they can be observed right definition of dominant condition is that which is suitable as a condition from the perspective of not impeding production because they assert that whatever is an activity cause is a dominant condition all phenomena are dominant conditions wow that's a different use of that term that certainly is unique Sautrantic has totally changed that and skipping the quote skipping the next quote uh, if one, someone were to ask, from how many conditions are conditioned phenomena produced, minds and mental factors are produced from all four, the absorption of non-discrimination and cessation are produced from three, excepting the object of observation. Ah, wow. The object of observation does not act as a cause. Not associated compositional factors other than the two absorptions and those which have form are produced by causal conditions and dominant conditions that's such a weird sentence not association not associated compositional factors other than those which have form which non-associated compositional factors have form is unclear anyway in summary all conditional phenomena have both a dominant condition and a causal condition all things have similarity having similarity asserted to be all four all phenomena simulate asserted to be both object of observation conditions and dominant conditions a rather convoluted and unclear presentation of causes and conditions which the sautrantika cleans up and simplifies and straight and straightens out effects quickly are divided terminologically because these are not entities there are five fruitional dominant <clears throat> effect that occurs its cause effect made by a person and separation conditioned phenomena have four effects fruitional that which accords with its cause dominant and effect made by a person unconditional phenomena have two effects effects made by a person which is an attainment and a separation effect that's interesting which is separation from any contaminant through the power of an antidote skipping the quote um, actually no the quote from commentary says what phenomena are effects all conditioned phenomena and the two analytical cessations are effects but space is not an effect a fruitional effect is the effect of fruitional cause the last of the six causes that we saw earlier dominant effect is the effect of an activity fault cause the first of the six causes of non-impeding an effect in accordance with its cause, the effect of two 
causes, the cause of similar type and an omnipresent one, an effect made by a person is the effect of two causes simultaneously arising cause and concomitant, concomitant one. Not a very helpful scheme. So let's skip the remainder of the different types of causes instead of going through them. Let's see if we can do consciousness, the knowing subject, and finish this part of the scheme. So page 271, consciousness, the knowing subject, the next section. Now, this is how this system presents objects. How do they present the consciousness that knows these objects in general, like Sautrantra Guvaybashika, posits consciousness as that which knows an object or that which apprehends an object. The definition of consciousness, that which knows or apprehends an object. Skipping the quote, um, sometimes knower and awareness are ref also referred to wisdom so you got to be careful that was at the end of the quote what i just read from with regard to comprehending consciousness they assert that there is sense consciousness and mental minds and mental factors valid and invalid knowledge and so on that with regard to valid knowledge there's direct perception and inference that with regard to direct perception there are three sense direct perception mental direct perception and yogi direct perception and that and they're missing uh, self-aware direct perception they don't accept that and that the supporting physical sense faculty is a valid means of knowledge it appears that some assert there is no mental direct perception that is different in entity from sense direct perception with a subtle distinction they do not assert reflexive awareness Vedana, although they accept that the experience of consciousness is like the fact is like a factor that is clear and knowing just the definition of mind they in no way assert that between the objects such as form and the eye consciousness that precedes it there is something else that is neither of them called the aspect of the object that appears to the awareness and the aspect that apprehends that which is a reference to the Sautrantika system of perception. Furthermore, consciousnesses determine other objects. They do not determine themselves, so they're other apprehending and, uh, and not self-knowing because consciousness itself cannot be both determined and what determines they know a assert reflexive awareness. <clears throat> Skipping the quote, Next paragraph, regarding how consciousness comprehends its objects, so Trontic and so forth assert that a blue object casts an aspect that is similar to it on the eye consciousness apprehending blue. The, the eye consciousness continues to see the aspect that is like the blue object which has ceased. The actual object has ceased at that time, no longer exists. However, in this Vaibhashika system, objects such as form appear to the sense faculty directly without going through the aspect because the sense consciousnesses are not physical. It is impossible for an aspect of form to appear to it in the manner of a reflection because they're not physical. That's interesting. Therefore, they do not assert the appearance of aspects of objects, such as blue and yellow, to the sense consciousnesses. When an object is apprehended by sense consciousness, apprehended nakedly without an aspect of the object appearing, to prove that, they assert that if what appears directly to the consciousness were not the actual object, then there would have to be objects that do not appear directly, and this cannot be proven. So they, they're saying, well, you have to show me that aspect is it a substantially self-sufficient existent entity? They assert that even if one says that this coarse appearance is a consciousness, it would absurdly follow that the coarse object 
is not a collection of particles, which by definition everything has to be, unless it's a moment of consciousness. So they have some good arguments against the aspect. Is I, I'm I'm not expert yeah. in this, but is isn't in a way this argument that they're making for why there can't be an aspect, isn't it sort of the same argument that's used in the Sautantrika for why there has to be? Uh it's identical the Sautrantika say that consciousness can't directly connect with a physical object and here the Vipashikas are basically saying the opposite they can't re connect with a reflection <laughs> right that's that's what I want to say so essentially it they're is. using the same reason to prove the opposite positions that's right that's right um, yeah it's the only time in history that men have ever done that right uh, uh, uh. Uh, let's see. Uh, they make a difference between seeing and knowing, saying that the eye sense faculty sees, but the consciousness does not see when a form is seen by a subordinate eye sense faculty. Form is apprehended or cognized by the eye consciousness. The, the mind is blind and the eyes are ignorant or something like that, right? Skipping the rest of that, Sautrantikos does not distinguish between seeing and knowing. They assert that that which cognizes form sees form. And so there's no difference between seeing and knowing. Interestingly, Vibhashika state the, the fault that if only the eye consciousness sees form, as Sautrantika explains, then because consciousness would be unimpeded, it would have to see through obstructing forms such as walls. That's a pretty good reason. Consciousness is unobstructed, and if consciousness is actually seeing the forms, then it should be able to see everything unimpededly. Skipping the quote, Vibhashikas assert that subtle particles or accumulations of them do not appear to eye consciousness, and eye consciousness does not comprehend subtle particles individually. A coarse mass of accumulated subtle particles is directly comprehended. For example, they say that from a distance one cannot see an individual an isolated hair or a grain of sand, but a, a mass that is an accumulation of many of them is directly seen. Setting forth the way in which objects are known by sense consciousness in the Vaibhashika system, Jake Tari's previously cited text says, it occurs by an awareness that is a consciousness produced by sense faculty. Which didn't really add much. Uh, his comment, we have time to read that as awareness, which is called directly perceiving awareness produced from the sense faculties that empower it, does not have an aspect of the object. No, no sautrantic aspect. Therefore, without there being an intervening aspect similar to them as imagined by the sautrantica, the awareness directly knows, that is, cognizes an aggregation of accumulated particles, that is, subtle particles. It does not have parts as positive by other set of particles are beyond the, the ken, <laughs> beyond the ken, Barbie and ken of the sense faculties. How can they be perceived? Although individually they're beyond the ken of the sense faculties, other things of similar type are simultaneously gathered with it and become the object of the sense faculties. Wow. It is not certain that that which cannot be perceived individually cannot be perceived when they are collected. Scattered things like hairs cannot be seen from a great distance, but they observed when placed together. So 
they can't uh, they don't have any logic but they have to support this idea but they have supporting evidence examples among the four buddhist schools of tenets of india this has been a brief and thoroughly humorous explanation of the tenets of the vibhashka assert that external objects are truly established and do not assert reflexive awareness the famed philosophical tradition that emphasizes the treatise called the great exegesis interesting that they mention only that they don't assert reflexive awareness in this last summer they don't say anything about the aspect they don't say anything about the three times anyway it's a summary <clears throat> anyway that's the Satrantika school and uh, it would be neat uh, to next week see uh, go to me palms text and see what has, he has to say about this subject because uh, he has some interesting way uh, comments and interesting way of presenting it so we'll, let's try to do that next week as well as go through the South Tronticus in uh, as much as feasible realistically comments suggestions oh wait we have three minutes do you guys have me palm handy do you guys come equipped yeah all right no probably not so this is a heads up for next time i've circulated me palm if you need it again just let me know you know there's tons of emails and attachments and probably uh, it got lost in the fray, but uh, it's a text called The Concise Summary of Buddhist Philosophies by Mipom. <clears throat> and uh, anyone have it? Uh, Cynthia has it. Anyone else have it? Andy? Uh, right. Mary Beth has the book that it appears in, and she has glasses so she can read it because it's very small in there. <laughs> it's really small in there. Um, and other other people don't have it. So I'll just read one little thing, which is that uh, it's translated by Douglas Duckworth. He's definitely is. <laughs> Must have taken a lot of flack for that name in school. But uh, <clears throat> Meepo has this interesting section before Vaibhashka of uh, the disciples. And uh, just to go through it quickly, he uh, he starts out with the Hinayana, and he says that there's the disciples, meaning the Shravakas and the self-realized ones, they're the Pratyeka Buddhas, and there's a threefold presentation of schools, nature, and philosophy. The schools are the 18, and he gives his version of those. And then he says there's the nature. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to read the headings because I don't want to read it if you guys don't have it, but just the headings themselves are interesting. Their common assertions are the four objective, the objective four truths, the assertion of components, the dharmas as ultimate, the assertion of the arhat as uh, constituting the consummate nirvana, the denial of Mahayana, the denial of the ten bhumis, the assertion that the Buddha was an individual, was like a mere human being until he became the Buddha, that is. And then Mipam refused those. 
He refutes the four truths as objective entities. He refutes dharmas as ultimate. He refutes the uh, arhat as consummate. And he refutes, then he puts in the, he refutes the denial of the Aliyah Vijnana, which was not in the prior list. But it was. Thank you. I must have missed it somehow. Where is that? Oh, it's right at the bottom of the page. Thank you. Page three at the bottom. And so he denies, he refutes that and the denial of Mahayana, 10 grounds in the individual. Then he gets into Vaibhashika. So be interesting to take a peek at that next week. So unless there's any other in, uh, activity causes, meaning non and, and causes that impede something, the ending of the class, there are no causes that impede the end of the class, we should end the class. By this merit, may all obtain omniscience, may it defeat the enemy wrongdoing from the stormy waves of birth, old age, sickness, and death from the ocean of samsara. May I free all beings by the confidence of the golden sun of the Grades. May the lotus garden of the Rigdon's wisdom bloom. May the dark ignorance of sentient beings be the spell. May all beings enjoy profound, brilliant glory. There's a bit of a slog this class, but if you can make it through this, it's like you'll know the whole thing. And then when you read other texts, it's like very different. You know what they're really the underlying framework is. Thank you all for joining. Great to see you. Have a great week. And hope Thank to you. see you Have next a good week. Trip, Thanks very much. Take care. And recording.